0: Amen. Luke 24. It's going to be a primary text this morning if you want to go ahead and make your way there. In Luke 24, it gives us the account of two followers of Jesus who are trying to make sense of the crucifixion. When, when you read it, you can almost feel the emotion that these two individuals have that they're trying to process everything that's transpired over the past three days. Because they didn't see it coming. they had been in Jerusalem for Passover, and with that, they either personally experienced or they, uh, or they heard from someone who witnessed the arrest, trial, beating, and crucifixion of Jesus. And just like we do, whenever we suffer tragedy, or whenever something, uh, whenever we suffer through heartache, we want to be around those that we love. We want to be around those that, that we care about. And then, when we're ready. We want to talk about it. We want to talk through what we saw, what we experienced, and what happened. What's our life going to look like now in response to that? These two, they're in the middle of that conversation when they get uh, interrupted by an unexpected guest. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 16. Now that same day, the day of the resurrection, that same day, two of them were going to, uh, going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. In in many of the resurrection accounts, uh, you see that the people that when they initially saw Jesus, they don't recognize him at first. In some ways, I kind of get that because you just saw him die. You're not expecting a dead man to be walking and talking there along with you. So I can understand maybe not recognizing, but at the same time, I'm like, you've been following him, listening to him. You've seen him preach. He's your friend. I feel like you should recognize him. Uh, But we know from other scripture accounts too that when Jesus comes back to life, when he is raised from the dead, his body is miraculously fit for eternity. And so his body... Is able to do has some different abilities than ours does. We're going to see that later on the text when he actually disappears uh, from a conversation. So uh, there's a little bit of a change in appearance from Jesus. But know this: he it was a bodily resurrection. Right? He didn't come back as a ghost, as a phantom. No, he came back flesh and blood, conquered the grave, walked out of it. uh, You know, death back to life. So much uh, the the, or the scripture tries to draw our attention to that so much so that they're like he ate with the he ate with the disciples he ate with those following us so it would see that it was a bodily resurrection that he conquered the grave but still it's a strange verse they were kept from recognizing him it's almost as if scripture is letting us know that 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 God is doing something specifically with them, right? He's, he's, le- he's leading them in their lives to a place of certainty, a place of conviction, a place of clarity about what happened to Jesus and, and what Jesus experienced. And so there's a progression that we're going to see with these two individuals as they're having this conversation with Jesus. Let's pick it back up again. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked them, "Are you the one? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem, who does not know the things that have happened there in these days?" So Jesus questions them again, leading them to a place of understanding. But it's here where we get our first indication at the emotional reaction that these two have to the cross. We get our first indication, really, of the confusion that they that they are going through as they are as they follow uh, as, as the, in the days that followed the cross. First thing that we see, they're downcast, right? They're sadness, there's despair. They've lost one that they love. They've, they've lost one that they've... Followed their best friend, right? Understandable that there would be a a brokenhearted, downcast reaction from them. We also get a sense of shock uh, at the question, like, how do you not know what's happening? Have you been living under a rock? How do you not know what's going on in Jerusalem? So you see a little bit of shock just at the the stranger's question. But what we're going to see as we continue this conversation is there's there's sadness and despair, not just because a friend's been lost, although that would be a huge part of it. There's sadness and despair because dreams have been crushed. Hopes have been stolen from them, and their trajectory of life, the thing that they had mapped out, it's not going to go the way that they had planned. And we see this in this conversation. Verse 19, what things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, how sad of a phrase, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. So at the start of it, it's a, it's a bit comical to me that they're talking to Jesus. They're telling Jesus about Jesus at the start of it. Um, but, but at the same time, you can hear a sense of longing in their verse, in, in, in that verse. You can hear a sense of almost nostalgia for the way things were. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and before people. I mean, almost like it was the good old days. Like it's past tense. It's, 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 it's everything is, is behind. It's not going to happen anymore. You can hear a sense of longing, a sense of nostalgia. But then it turns to blame really quickly, Right. The chief priests, you know, are our, our rulers handing him over to be death, handing him over to, to, to be sentenced to death, right? They quickly shift to blame. And it's here where I think you can sense a, a certain amount of drift from Jesus' ministry and from his message. And what what I mean by that, like um, at this point, they're they're technically right, and that the chief priests and rulers handed him over to be crucified. But where the drift is, is they're acting like those are the ones that caused it. They're placing all the blame and responsibility on the chief priests, on the rulers, and they're completely overlooking the fact that Jesus called a shot. Completely overlooking the fact that he came to be a sacrifice. Completely overlooking the fact that Jesus could have stopped this at any point in time, at any moment. But no, he allows it to happen. Why? Because he came to be a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And this was part of Jesus' message that he preached. And again, they were following Jesus. They were listening to Jesus, learning from Jesus, but only hearing from Jesus words that they wanted to hear. And when that's the case for these two and for us as well, when we only hear from Jesus what we want to hear, it creates a false expectation. A false expectation for what kind of God he's going to be, a false expectation for what type of life he's going to give us. It creates a false expectation and we we get off track from where God is leading us. We begin to drift. And you see these two drift away from Jesus's ministry, from his message, and you see that even more when they say flat out, but we had hoped he would redeem Israel. We had hoped he would redeem Israel. Like that was their plan for their life. That was their trajectory, right? They wanted Jesus to be the one to liberate Israel out from under the oppression of the Roman empire and kind of set Israel back up for the glory days of the the kingdom of Israel. That was their hope. That was their dream. That was their desire. And when Christ died on the cross, all those hopes and dreams died with it, that, that, that they would redeem Israel, and, and Israel would be this great nation once again. And it wasn't going to play out the way they expected. It wasn't going to go the way that they had planned. And at this point, like, I mean, let's, let's put flesh and blood on the story for these two. Like, imagine yourself in their, in their shoes. What would be going through your mind? Like, we've, there's sadness and despair, to be sure. But if I'm them, there's a tremendous amount of fear. Fear, like, I've followed Jesus. Is this going to happen to me too since I'm one of his followers? Once more, like, you know, have I wasted my life the past one, two, three years of my life now that it's all ending on the cross? Like, what's next for me? Where do I go from here? What do I do now? Once more, okay, is God still in control? Is he still loving? Is he still good? Like, what's, what's happening? I mean, all, the, all, all those voices would have gone, voices of fear, voices of doubt, voices, voices of critic would be, just loud and in my ears, coming to the forefront of my heart, of my mind, and of my faith. And so uh, just feeling all of that, which is crazy because they're already beginning to receive reports about the resurrection. It's odd, it's odd that all this is, is there for them, but they're already beginning to, to receive reports about the resurrection. Look at it, verse 22. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as these women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Okay, so they're getting reports that he was alive, getting a report that angels have announced his, resurrect, his resurrection, right? They're getting reports to the disciples hey, when we went to the tomb, his body wasn't there. We didn't see Jesus but it was empty. Like they're getting bits and pieces of all these reports, bits and pieces of all this news, getting all the information. And what's happening is they're hearing all the different ways that Jesus has done exactly what he said he would do. Every time they get these reports, it should be, this is exactly what he said he was going to do. But they're slow to understand. They're slow to comprehend. They're slow to believe it. You know, it's it's almost like, they just can't bring themselves to believe in something that good. Have you ever felt that? I can't, I can't let myself believe in something that good. I can't let myself believe in something that miraculous. I can't let myself believe in something that hopeful. And so they just, they keep themselves at a distance. They keep themselves at arm's length, that they're just not going to give themselves over to this good news that they're hearing about this resurrection, And so Jesus, at this point, helps them begin to make sense of everything that they're walking through, helps them understand his death and resurrection. And he does this um, in kind of a long form way. He does this by showing his death and resurrection as being in line with God's story with Israel. Now, if you don't know God's story with Israel, it's, it's, it's really kind of what we have in the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives us the story of God and him forming for himself a people and working in and through them. And here is a synopsis of the Old Testament in under 30 seconds. So what could go wrong? <laughs> so God forms for himself a people, the Israelites, and he, he gives them really a task. He blesses them, but he blesses them in order to be a blessing to the rest of the world. That they would live in such a way to where all would know that the God of the Israelites is the one true God. That was their task. That was their role. That was their function. And the story of the Old Testament is is that unfolding. And, And it's a way that the Israelites are to serve the world in such a way to help others know that we find our hope in God and God alone. And when we see God do that in and through the nation of Israel. And so Jesus is going to use God's story with Israel and show his death and resurrection as being in line with that. Let's look and see how he does it. Verse 25 He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And okay, at this point, we don't know what stories Jesus used. We don't know what, what prophecies he, refer, he referenced. But with going to Moses and the prophets, he's connecting to the story of Israel. And, and, and yes, God's used Israel to point the whole world to him. But the story of Israel is a story of suffering. We can't overlook that. The story of Israel is a story of suffering. They were born in suffering. They were born in slavery to Egypt where they were enslaved for 400 years. Then comes the promised land. But even in the promised land, they suffered at the hands of other foreign military powers that come in, conquer them, and send them into exile. That happened as a result of their bad decisions. So they also suffer at the hand of their own sin, of their own mistakes. And so uh, they're a people who has a story of suffering. Jesus is known as the suffering servant. One of the prophecies about Christ, Isaiah 53 prophetically points to Jesus being the one who will be beaten, afflicted, and bearing the sin and punishment of others for their deliverance. He's known as the suffering servant. And so Jesus is showing how his life as a suffering servant is in line with God's story through Israel, which is a story of suffering. Because throughout the story of Israel, you see a track record of God's redemptive purposes happening time and time again. They go from slavery to Exodus to promised land. They go from exile to return. And what you see happening is through it all. God's taking them from a place of despair to hope, from a place of death to a place of life. And it all happens in ways they wouldn't expect, in ways they wouldn't see coming. And a lot of times it doesn't happen overnight. It even takes generations to unfold. But make no mistake, it happens according to God's plan, moving them from despair to hope, from death to life. And Jesus says, it is the same with my death and resurrection. He's the Christ, he's Messiah, he's helping them understand this is what's happening when it's death, moving from despair to hope, from death to life. It's just these two were so close they couldn't see it. They were so close to the situation, they were so caught up in the emotional fog of their life, of their life circumstances, of their grief, despair, heartache, they couldn't make sense of what was happening. They had only heard from God what they wanted to hear from God, and so they didn't understand, or they couldn't pay attention to everything that Christ was accomplishing in and through the cross. And so what Jesus does here is he takes them all, he kind of zooms them all the way back and helps them connect to this larger redemptive story that God has been unfolding. And now they begin to understand. They see the cross, death, resurrection as, as, the, as really the fulfillment of this long story that God has had with Israel. And, and they, be, they begin to understand, they begin to hope again. And you can see this uh, in that they want Jesus to keep teaching them. And then you ultimately see it when they recognize Jesus. Let's pick it back up. Verse 28. Their hearts were burning as he taught them. And they were allowing themselves to believe it, allowing themselves to see it, allowing themselves to understand, allowing themselves to believe in something this good and something this miraculous and something this hopeful. They could see what God was doing, even through such a brutal, violent, and horrific act as the cross. They saw God accomplishing his plan to restore, redeem, and rescue his family. If if you'll notice, they, they... they Recognizes Jesus when he took the bread, gave thanks, and, and gave it to them. Uh, Luke, uh, there, there's strong similarity in between this passage and when Luke uh, records the, the Lord's Supper, and we're going to use Luke's text for when we get into the communion, just so we can see the overlap there. But Luke's kind of drawing our attention uh, that Jesus used this act to help these followers recognize who he is, what he's done for them, as he became the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. But they see it, they recognize Christ, and they as they're having this conversation with the resurrected Jesus, they, they know the work is done, it is finished with their faith in Jesus, their sins are forgiven, and they have a place in the family of God. They also have a purpose because immediate, and immediately they get to it. They have a mission. they're going to let others know that Jesus has conquered the grave. Look at verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, "It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the then the uh, then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They go back. They tell the disciples, "It's true, Christ has risen." They didn't go down. The, this didn't go down the way we thought it was going to go down, right? This didn't play out the way that we had expected. But this, this is so much more. This is so much more. What you see happening in this is the resurrection silences their fears, their doubts, and their sadness. It's not that they will never experience those again. They're human, just like you and me. They'll experience those emotions again. But now they know, hey, these are not going to last. These are not going to last. Why? There's been a resurrection. And that points us to the power and hope and the victory of God's kingdom. And so what you see, you see the, the resurrection silencing the fears, the doubts, and the sadness. If, if, if they had fears that they had wasted their lives, the, the resurrection silences that fear. Right? If they had doubts about the ministry and the message of Jesus, seeing Jesus come back to life, silences those doubts. Right? If, if, they, had, if they had sadness, when they had sadness over the crucifixion and the cross, the empty tomb gave double the amount of joy and the victory for Christ, in uh, the victory for God's kingdom, and the victory of what God has done for them. You see, in this way, the, the resurrection, it can silence those things that would hold us back. And I, if I lost you somewhere along the way, come back in on this. Because I asked earlier, during the welcome, what do you do when life doesn't go according to the way that you plan it? What do you do when God doesn't work the way that you want him to work? What do you do when life doesn't go the way that you expected, right? Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you didn't get in the school that you wanted. Maybe the relationship ended. Hey, maybe you just made some bad decisions. It was sinful mistakes, and now you're reaping the consequences of it. Or, or again, maybe, maybe you've been living the Christian faith, and it's not matching up to what your expectation would be. What do you do in that situation? What do you do when there's that, that, that crisis along the way? And look, I'm well aware that really all four of those questions are very different. Losing a job, losing a relationship, you know, sin and consequences, or just different Christian faith than what you thought it was going to be. Those are different categories. And so there, there are different practical answers to both of those, but there's one that I believe binds them all together. One that I think we don't need to lose sight of because in all of them, we do not need to miss the hope and the power of the resurrection in your response. Because here's the sermon and a bottom line: When life doesn't go the way you want it to go, when God doesn't work the way that you think He should work, we have to come back and anchor our hope and anchor our truth in the fact that you are loved by God who designs towards resurrection. You are loved by God who designs towards resurrection. We see that in a sun. We see that in celebrating a sun, right? We celebrate the hope and the truth of the resurrection of Christ on the cross. It looks like death, defeat. Triumph of evil. But then with the empty tomb, all that defeat miraculously turns into hope, life, and the ultimate victory of God's kingdom. And it happened all according to God's design, starting with Moses and the prophets. All according to God's design. We see it play out. God designing towards resurrection. We see it again in that God designs towards resurrection and that he willingly provided a way for you and for me to have one. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we act out of our pride, out of our ego, out of greed, uh, lust, apathy, laziness, whenever we act out of those ways, we're sinning against others, we're sinning against the Lord. And scripture says the wages of that sin is death. And I know that is, a, that is a hard pill to swallow. That's a hard truth to comprehend because so many times I, I'm stacking my sin next to somebody else's sin. And I'm like, it's just not that bad. <laughs> and, and that's another sin, right? And so, like, when I judge myself, I, I'm just like, I'm kind of better than you. Anyways, so, like, you know, I'm judging that. And so then I think, really, death? I mean, really, that seems like an overreaction. But the metric is off, right? If I'm comparing my sin against the holiness and the righteousness of God, I see how egregious it is. Once more, when I keep in mind that God is all-knowing, that he knows— um, all the inner workings of my heart and of my soul, and then I know that he is also good and just. When he makes a pronouncement, it is right, and it is true, and it's justifiable. So when he says the wages of our sin is death, my response would be, yes, Lord, okay, I understand the wages of sin is death, but then quickly we can move to the promise that God has given, because he doesn't want us to suffer death. That's the hope of Easter. That's what he's done, right? He's provided Christ. He's provided the one in whom our sin and death could be given to him so that we can share in his resurrection. He's provided a way for us to experience newness of life as well. So when we die, we know that we're going to be a part of the kingdom of God and experience our own resurrection as we step into eternal life with him. But church, I hope you know, this isn't just a hope that like, hey, I've got my path to heaven. One day it's going to pay off for me when I die or Christ comes back. This is a hope that we can have now. Like when you wake up and you go into your eight to five job in the cubicle and you're long what's the purpose of life? Sorry if I insulted your job. <laughs> but like in the moment of that, like you can still say, no, 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 no. no, I'm, I'm not just caught in this temporal world. Christ has given me new life. I know that I'm wrapped up in the eternal purposes. So now God, how can I go through this world, making decisions, loving, serving, pouring into other people that make much of who you are, much of what you've done, much of the victory that you have made. And suddenly the eight to five now has purpose. And it's a way that we discover life and life to the full in Christ and the life that he has invited and created us to live. And I'm telling you, if you've not given that yes to Jesus, if you've not trusted in him in that way, I can think of no better way, no better day than today, on an Easter morning, for you to confess your sin, trust in the work that Christ has done on the cross, and you can know that he will give you life, because he is designing towards resurrection. We also see this, see God designed towards resurrection in verses like Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. That verse is equal parts hopeful for me, and it's just hard for me. Uh, it, it, it's hard for me because they're, they're like, man, there are times when tragedy strikes, right? And you feel that heartache. You feel that suffering. And you feel that sadness. Because and, and life is not going the way that I thought it was going to go. And so many times I have the reaction of these two in Luke 24. Feel the grief feel the despair, feel the confusion, and and, and getting so close to the situation, it's so hard, it's so hard, it's so hard to keep in mind that God has this grand narrative of redemption unfolding that will one day reveal His glory and show how it was leading to our good and the good of His family. And truthfully, let me just say it this way, that's an outcome we might not get to see until we're looking at this temporal world through the lens of an eternal life. That's why I say that verse is equal parts hopeful and hard for me. But nevertheless, God gives that verse to his people for us to have hope towards this end. That in the dark nights of our sorrow and in our confusion, in our crisis of faith, in those moments we can come back, know the hope of Easter that God designs towards resurrection. And he specializes, specializes in bringing life. So I don't know what's happened in your life. I don't know what's going on. Maybe you are walking in, maybe, maybe the job ended. Maybe the relationship is over. Maybe, maybe you've had a run of just bad, sinful decisions and you are feeling the consequences of all those. And so you're thinking, man, I've just got to put myself on the sideline, just lay in my bed that I made and that's it for me. In all those situations, no, God, you are not done because God is not done, right? You've heard that before. Why? Because we are loved by God who designs towards resurrection. It's the hope of Easter. So in those moments when God doesn't work the way that you think he should, and life does not go according to plan, let the Easter season, let the joy of Easter Sunday allow your heart to believe in something that good. Allow your heart to believe in something that miraculous. Allow your heart to believe in something that hopeful, that we are loved by a God who moves his people from despair to hope, from death to life. Because we are loved by God who designs towards resurrection.